So we're going to be talking about the Sermon on the Mount for so many weeks, and it's going to be awesome. I'm excited about it. I get really excited uh, preparing this because so much of it is just reading the words of Jesus and letting it just seep in, you know, marinating in Jesus' words in hopes that we take on that flavor. That's what we're doing. And last week, we talked a lot about uh, the blessings, the Beatitudes. We'll talk about that here in a minute. If you would, grab a Bible. Uh, If you don't own one, there is a hard-backed black one in the seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Leave with this. Take it. It's yours. You can have it. You can have this one right here if you want it. Uh, We want you to be in the Word of God. And we say this every week. I never get tired of saying it. I hope you never get tired of hearing it. We have got to be talking about the words of the Lord when we gather together. Otherwise, it's just me getting you pumped about something you're going to forget anyway. And that doesn't matter. But when I die, a million years from now, the Word of the Lord lasts forever. And we'll be worshiping Him by His Word continuously. And so that's what we want to emphasize. That's what we want to focus on. Uh, We're going to be talking about that this morning. Grab a Bible. We're going to pray as we read over these scriptures, that the Lord would give us ears to hear and that we would make sense of what Jesus wants us to know. Let's pray. Father, we pray right now that you would guide us as we get into your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, that your spirit would move um, apart from distractions, apathy, anger, tensions, uh, facades that we've put on. God, I pray that we would be real before you right now. We would be real people that are coming to you, poor in spirit, opening our hands, saying, Lord, what do you want? What do you want us to know as a church, as individuals? We humbly come before you knowing that you're King Jesus. You tell us that all authority is in you and that you're with us always. Teach us what it means to be your disciple, to make disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Who here... uh, ah, Let's start there. So we talked about uh, the Sermon on the Mount last week. And I said that when you think about Jesus, you should naturally always think about... Kingdom. Say it. Kingdom. Kingdom. Say it in your kingdom voice. Kingdom. Kingdom. This is so important because otherwise you're going to reduce Jesus to just some uh, social service expert, right? Or you're going to reduce Jesus just to a guy who had some really nice teachings that were some fluffy things to say that you really like. And yeah, he's my savior and he's Lord, but it's just for you and it doesn't mean anything. It comes and goes, you die with it, and everyone says, oh, grandma was really sweet and she loved Jesus, but that's it. We forget it. Jesus is about the kingdom. And if that's not the hope that we have as individuals, as the church, then we're wasting our time. Go play golf or please pick up any other sport that's more interesting. But go do something else because we're wasting our time here. Jesus is about the kingdom. And so that should give us pause say, what are we even talking about? What does that mean? In light of the kingdom, what does going to church mean? In light of the kingdom, what does going to high school mean? In light of the kingdom, what does graduating high school mean? In light of the kingdom, why should I go to college or not go to college? In light of the kingdom, how should I approach being a husband? How should I approach being a parent? How should I approach being a wife? Should I be a nagging person? Should I be someone who gossips? Should I be someone who wears purple shoes? In light of the kingdom, what am I doing? Because Jesus was all about the kingdom and we claim to be Jesus people, right? We're Christians. We follow Christ. Are you with me? And so those are the questions we should be asking. What is anything in your life? Pick a thing. Say, X thing in my life. What does it say about my king and his kingdom? That's what you should be asking. About everything in your life. And there's an answer. It's not like God has no care in the world about how you ice skate. In some ways, your ice skating should reflect and glorify the Father who's in heaven. We'll talk more about that here in a minute, right? And so kingdoms we focus on. And then we went through this whole idea of the gospel, right? 
Jesus says, this is the gospel of the kingdom. That's what he's coming to preach. And then we get the Sermon on the Mount. And so we talked about how originally we were created to reign with God. That we were created to reign with him. Not as these subordinates who are whipped and under some oppressive tyrant, but as one who was reigning with him. And that sort of political system doesn't make any sense to you. Because you can't reign with President Trump or Obama or Biden or pick your flavor. You can't reign with them. It doesn't make sense to you. Because you paid them and you elected them to do a job. It's not your job. But then in the kingdom mentality, God is king. He is exalted and he gives us reign with him. He is ultimate authority. And we reign through him, with him. That doesn't make sense to us. And so he wanted that. We decided not to do that. We said, no, no, we're going to do our own kingdoms. We're going to do our own thing. We rebelled. We continued to rebel. Sin, death, darkness, evil, cancer, pain. You pick a thing. There it is. Boom. We brought in that. That's our kingdom. Our kingdom is full of thorns, thistles, pain, brokenness, death. That's what we created. And so then God continually brought a people to him to say, if you would worship me, my people who call by my name would follow me. Right? I will heal them. I'll make things right. That was the hope, right? So we could reign with him. And then Jesus comes in and says, that kingdom is now. I brought it. It's here. You don't have to do anything for it anymore. You ain't bringing it. I brought it. King Jesus' kingdom is now. And here we are, 21st century Western Christians saying, I thought this was all about my personal salvation. I thought this was all about just mean Jesus, making it happen. I thought this was about just really lit worship services. Wait a minute. It's about the kingdom. So when we talk about Jesus as Christians, little Christ, we have to be talking about the kingdom. If we don't understand the kingdom, then no offense or all offense, you're wasting your time. This doesn't mean anything. Your parenting doesn't make sense. Your marriage doesn't make sense. Your job doesn't make sense because you don't know the kingdom, which is what we're going to be talking about. Jesus says, I've come to bring you the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, that's what he's teaching. Here we are, Sermon Mount. And it starts with these uh, nine blessings, the Beatitudes. Beatitudes is a Latin word for blessing. We talk about how blessing means what? Favor, basically, right? Favor with God. You can unpack the words to mean so many things, um, but it ultimately means favor with God, uh, having favor. Blessed are those you are favored. And they were backwards. We said this is the upside-down kingdom. Because if you just read the Beatitudes, the blessings, you would some of them you'd say, I want to be that person. And some of you'd say, I've been that person. I don't like it. I don't like mourning. I don't like, I don't like being meek. I don't like... I don't like being a peacemaker because then I get broken and I get kicked for trying to bring peace to two sides that don't want to have peace, right? And so the Beatitudes backwards idea. Uh, I saw a video this week about a art install that I think really helps talk about the Sermon on the Mount and the Kingdom. We're going to play it now. It's short. You'll love it. seen things like this before, right? Like art installs, and as you look at them, it looks like a mess or some ridiculous pile of trash or whatever, and then as soon as the camera shifts and the perspective changes, you, oh, whoa, whoa, right? 
You've seen those things? Raise your hand. No, just give me some affirmation. I've seen perspective art, David. Cool. Neat. Some of us have never seen art, and I'm sorry for your life. But here's the cool thing about that, is if you just looked at those random pieces of whatever, it means nothing. They're just illuminated little orbs of thingies and stuff. And as soon as you look from the right perspective, you see the word light, and you're like, whoa, whoa, man. And then you turn there and you see the word dark. And we could take that analogy super far this morning, but then we're not going to be reading scripture, so we're going to skip that. But this helps us understand the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's here. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what Jesus says. This is what he's talking about. You're seeing all this scraps and things that you've made sense of the world, but if you would just look at it in light of the Messiah, in light of Christ, now you see light. Now it makes sense to you, right? And so that's what we're doing with the Sermon on the Mount. We're saying, repent, have a dip, change your mind, look at things differently. And that's the whole goal here. It is is similar to that art and soul. We're trying to see things in the right perspective through the light of the Messiah, the way God created the world to function. So, salt and light. Here we go. Uh, I'm going to read these. In fact, I need. who likes to doodle? Raise your hand. Do you like to doodle? No? Doodle? You. Can you come up here real quick? And... Yeah, no, you, yeah, you know, you know who you are. Who else? No one else wants to come up here. I'm going to make you if you don't. Oh, Addie, please don't make me call you out. Addie, come here. I've never brought Addie on stage. She's so upset. Here's what I need. This is really important. So I'm going to put a, pl- oh gosh, I almost fell. Don't do what I did. I need one of you to draw a salt shaker in this area and one of you to draw a light bulb in this area. Okay, ready to go. We're going to keep talking. You guys take your time. Here you go. Feel free to arm wrestle over this. All of the Sermon on the Mount is about repenting and believing in the gospel of the kingdom. And so as we approach it, I pray that you would continue to have this understanding of, I'm not, I'm not just trying to understand these specific words of Jesus. I'm not just trying to cram these blessings into my life and figuring out how I can be meek. Instead, I want you to think really broadly. I mean, think, how am I taking this idea that Jesus is saying and seeing the entire world in the idea of reigning and ruling with Christ? How am I seeing the entire world this way? Not, how does my Christianity fit into my politics, fit into my parents? No, no, no. Stop all that. Where does the kingdom start, right? That's where we're going to go. How are you doing? You're doing so good. Light bulb. Salt shaker. So recently, I've been amazed at how many people draw and doodle in our church and, and things. I have no skill in that whatsoever. You've seen, I can't even write words. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so I walked by Addie recently, saw her drawings, like, whoa. And so now I have an excuse to bring her up here and embarrass her. There it is. Is that even like 3D? I tried. That's amazing. Give her a hand. Salt and light. Oh, I'm not going to add this. We have salt and light. Open your Bibles, Matthew 5. Buckle up. Here's what Jesus said. We're going to read it again. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall it be salt? How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket or bucket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Who's Jesus talking to? We said last week, the disciples and and crowds. Who are his disciples right now? The twelve? 
gotcha. No, no, not the 12, right? Uh, maybe a few, there, there may be three guys, right? Because he called them on the shore, maybe four, but then there are other people. And, and we read in Matthew 4, who are the sort of people Jesus hung out with? Poor people, sick people, broken people. All the people that society, particularly Roman society, would say, you're useless, we don't have any need for you, get out of the city, you can live on the outskirts, form your own little poor communities, doing your own little poor things, because you have no help in us. And Jesus looks at them and says, you are blessed. All of you. You broken, messed up, mucky people, you're blessed because the kingdom of heaven is yours. Ah, now it's backwards and it's confusing. Because... All of us in this room can imagine people that we think are outcasts and broken. Even though we wouldn't want to say that because we're Christians and we include everyone. There are people you drive by that you naturally judge. There are people in Walmart who are doing certain things that you judge. And you would think, they're not a part of the kingdom. If only they were like me. If only they did this thing. If only they, they owned a house. If only they had this much money in savings. If only they followed this program. If only they came to these church events. Stop. Because Jesus is all of a sudden including people that we don't think should be included. And that says something about us as a church. What do we do with that? There's a challenge there, and we want to keep wrestling with what that means in Scripture. And so Jesus invites people in. And now he's looking at those same people, and he collectively refers to them, not vaguely as, blessed are this kind of person, but he points them and says, you, you broken, messed up, hurting people who have decided to come together. They all have one thing in common. What have they decided to do? be Jesus' disciples, right? They've all decided to come. So as his disciples, he looks at them and says, you, you crowds, you disciples, you are the ones who've collected from him. He's talking to the church. And I understand you doctrinal, theological, Christian church historian people are going to say, the church hasn't been formed yet. Blah! Calm down, right? The church in its simplest form is the gathering of people under Christ for his kingdom saying, Jesus is the head, he is our king, and we follow and serve him. That is the church. The church is not this building. The church is not the ground of this walking on. It's not some special sanctuary. It's not Jerusalem. We'll see that later. The church is the people gathered together under Christ, reigning with him, living in his kingdom. That is the church. And these are the people Jesus is talking to, these broken people. This matters because as we talk about this, you're going to be tempted to westernize this, to personalize this, to say, how am I salt? How am I salty? How am I light? And you're going to make it about you. You're going to become selfish. You're going to glorify yourself. And you're going to spend the rest of the week orbiting yourself and saying, how am I doing these things so that I may be pleasing my father and I may be right? Stop it, stop it, stop it. It's not about you. Say that. It's not about me. It's not about you. You cannot bring the kingdom. Jesus brought the kingdom. You cannot save Jefferson City. You can't save your family. You can't save your marriage. You can't save you. Jesus is king. And if you start there, things start to make sense. If you take these words of Jesus and you say, oh gosh, okay, I'm supposed to be salt. And let me think of all the analogies of salt and how that works. And what could Jesus possibly mean? Okay, I'm salt. Great. And these, I'm going to be light. Okay. Care Bear Stare, right? How am I light, right? And that's your thing, man. Ooh, where did that come from? How am I light? You're missing it. This is a corporate calling to corporate people. Of course it includes individuals. One of you could screw up all of this. That's the whole idea. Jews knew that. One person's sin affected everyone's sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful to us of our sins. There's a corporate aspect of this. There's an individual aspect to it. But stop making it just about you because then you miss it. For those of you watching home, for those of you sitting here, if you're not a part of a God-fearing, gospel-centered church, this is your call today. You have to be a part of the church. Because you are. No one is a Christian outside of the church. Otherwise, they don't make sense in the world of the Bible. To be a Christian is to be a part of the church. So stop pretending that you can follow Christ apart from the church. It doesn't make sense. 
This is a corporate thing. We're going to get into it. He first says, you are the salt of the earth. Salt is not a common metaphor in the Bible, believe it or not. Look up how many times salt's used in the Bible. It is so random and weird. There's people turned into pillars of salt. There's salt used as metaphors. There's salt used literally. It's not like we can just say, well, here's the Greek word for salt and the Hebrew word for salt, and that must mean this. It doesn't make sense. And I think there's a reason for that. I think when Jesus is talking to a whole bunch of Jews, potentially some Gentiles, and he says, you are the salt of the earth, they kind of look at each are like, we, we are? Wait. There's not this like, oh yeah, get it, salt. No, no, no. They're confused. Like, what does this even mean? Wait, wait, wait. You said salt. We're the salt of the earth. doesn't make sense. And so there's a confusion there. Here's what I think is interesting about salt. There's a, there's a few things we could say. We don't commonly say this in our own culture, right? Like, you didn't look at your kids and say, you're the salt of our family. Go and salt the earth, my child. It doesn't make sense, right? We say some people are salty, right? Quit being salty. I don't even really know what that means, but you kind of feel it. It's kind of like when you say someone's being a jerk. It's hard to define, but it's like, quit being a jerk. You know, you feel it. And it's kind of how someone's being salty. Like, don't be salty to me. Quit being so salty. Uh, maybe if you kiss someone who just worked out, okay, you're just being a salty person. Uh, maybe that's just in my family. Very salty humans in our kissing. Uh, what is happening right now? <laughs> In the first century world, salt was precious. That's where we're going. And salt is a very precious thing. A lot of times, uh, sometimes Roman soldiers, they were paid in salt. And you get this uh, uh, phrase, right? Someone is worth their salt. Right. Yeah. So uh, a Roman soldier being paid, they're worth their salt. There's that kind of idea. Salt is precious. You get that. In fact, sometimes salt is even in the Bible, gets this idea that it relates to peace and friendliness. Mark 9:50, Jesus says something similar. He says, salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Some historians, some people kind of connect this idea that maybe salt was also associated with peace and friendliness because if we have salt, things are good. Things are peaceful because we got salt, right? Why? Because salt's used for a lot of other things. It's used to uh, preserve things like uh, uh, things that uh, could decay, meats, that sort of thing. And then it's used for flavoring, right? Salt's used to flavor things. I don't need to explain that. You get it, right? You put salt on things, and then some of you have kidney issues or whatever. You, you don't put salt on things. My dad had to, like, get rid of all salt for a while. It's a big deal. You're familiar with salt. No one in here is like, wait, wait, wait. People put salt on their food, right? Everyone puts salt on their eggs, unless you're Jason, who doesn't like eggs, in which case you have a lot of other problems. Um, but that's easy. Um, so do you know someone who doesn't like eggs? Anyway. Uh, so... Salt is used for flavoring, uh, preserving things. Here's what I want to stop, though. Because all of you who've been in church, you've been here forever, you are, you've, you're used to this. You're ready for this. You've buckled up. Here comes a sermon about all these analogies of salt. Please tell me about how athletes take salt tablets. Please tell me about how salt this, salt that. Don't be salty. I've been assaulted. Whatever. You're just going to say all these sort of things. Right? Stop. I don't think... I think Jesus meant all of these things and none of them at the same time. Because it's not... It's not clear. And this is like when we talked about, when we talk about the characters of God, we have a limit of knowledge, right? I don't think we really know exactly what Jesus meant precisely. We can say, oh, salt was precious. Oh, salt was used for preserving things. So maybe it's like this. Here's what we do know for, for a fact. Salt influences things. That's it. Salt influences things. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the world. And before we make very specific analogies and you walk out of here thinking how you need to be salty, just stop. Think about influence. If you're a part of the kingdom, 
Kingdom's on the other page. That's okay, you get it. If you're a part of the kingdom, you have influence. We, as one, have influence. How are we measuring our influence in Christ? What does that mean? How are we doing that? This, this one, Jesus says, comes with a warning. There's a judgment here. He says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. How does salt lose its saltiness? Ooh, tricky. Yeah, this is a hard one. Uh, what is salt, nerds? Sodium chloride. Elements. Right, yeah, sodium chloride. So how do you make sodium chloride less salt? That, yeah, right. Yeah, okay, we, we can all start throwing chemist things out, but it's really tough to do. In fact, it doesn't even make sense. It's nonsense. And especially to a first century world, you're asking, hey, how does salt become less salt? That's like saying, how is water less wet? How do you make Christmas less December? How do you make my wife less incredible? These are crazy questions. It can't be done. It doesn't make any sense. Salt less salty, water not being wet. What are you saying, Jesus? It doesn't make any sense if the salt loses its saltiness. Ah, if the salt loses saltiness, it's no longer what? Salt. It can't be salt. It's going to be thrown out and trampled. Judgment's here. You're the salt of the world. But if you ain't the salt of the world, you're thrown out and trampled. And you'll see this pattern. Jesus has this pattern that's going to keep coming up and says, this is the way it is. Through the Messiah, through the kingdom, this is happening. You are the salt of the world. You are the influencer of the world. Unpack that however far you want. You're to preserve it. You're to, to flavor it. You're to whatever. But you are the influencer of the world. You, Christians, as broken as you are, as messed up as you are, if you believe in Christ, if you're poor in spirit, the kingdom is yours. You come together as one body. You influence the world in Jesus Christ. That's who you are. If you choose not to do that, you're not salt. You can't possibly be salt. And the judgment is that you're thrown out and trampled. And you'll see as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, this thing comes up over and over. In fact, just read Jesus' word. Look at how many times Jesus talks about things cast out. It happens quite often. About seven or eight times uh, in each gospel, Jesus has some phrase on, this is the way it is, but if not, thrown into the fire, thrown into the street, cast outside the city. Constant idea of being thrown out. Why? Because salt salts. That's what it does. And so if you're a Christian and you don't see your influence in the kingdom of Christ, then maybe you're missing it. Maybe you're being thrown out and being trampled. And of course that makes sense because if we're kingdom people, church, if we're kingdom people focusing on Christ, how could we not influence the world? Do we really believe that He has all authority? How selfish would we be? And how messed up would we be? No, we believe in King Jesus, the one who came to give everything to us, including His life, all of His teachings, died, resurrected. He gave it all. We worship Him, but we do this just for us. This is only about us. We don't have any influence. This, we just come in here, gather on Sundays, feel good about ourselves. Tell me what's going to make me feel good for a few more days, David. Pump some life into me. Wash the gas and give me the keys. That's not what Jesus has called us to. Jesus is calling us to be kingdom people where every part of our life has influence on in other people. And Jesus is getting at the point that you can't not do this. Salt, salt, if you follow me, if you believe in me as the Messiah, if you're my disciple, you will naturally be influencing the world around you. This is what the church does. This is what we do as individuals, only through the church. Understand that. I'm not here to tell you about your personal evangelism and your personal mission. What a silly thought. <laughs> You're not here so that you go out and influence the world at your job. You influence the world through following Christ through the church. And 
whoa, isn't that much more relaxing? Isn't that much more peaceful? Yes, you're naturally going to be influencing the people at your job through following Christ because you're going to do things differently. They're going to see in your life that you value the kingdom. They're going to see in your life you do things differently, right? That you value prayer. You value scripture. You value the gathering of believers. Those things are going to come out of your life. But it's not on you then to bring the kingdom in that person's life. It's on you to connect those people to Jesus Christ through his church. This is why we say things like invite people to church. Not so we can say, we had this many people at church on Sunday. Because they aren't going to know Jesus if they're not here. They're not going to know Jesus if we're not out there living in community, influencing the community, being who Christ is. This is what it means to be influencers. And if you're not, you're going to be trampled. And you know churches that way. You know churches, you know Christians who are being being trampled. Because they're not worth their salt. They're just a bunch of stuffy gatherings for people to feel good about themselves and say fluffy words that have nothing to do with King Jesus. They gather together, they sing great songs, they have great powerful messages, and no one's life is transformed for King Jesus. No, no father is glorified in that. As God would say, I hate your shows, I hate your festivals, get away from me, they're detestable to me. Going off there, what does it mean to be influencers? What are we influencing? Go back to the Beatitudes. What are they? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is the influence Jesus was calling to. Everyone sitting there in that day would understand, wait, we're the salt? What are we the salt? Oh, this is what it means to live in the kingdom. Those who have favor with God, those who are blessed, this is how they're living. And so maybe you sit here and say, man, I'm not, I'm not that way. I'm not a part of a church and I'm really messed up. I couldn't even join your church because I really stink. I'm terrible. You don't want to know me. I'm the worst person in here and I'm just, I'm never going to come back. Get me out of here. Gross. Uh, Jesus says... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Maybe today you need to hear how unsalty and unshiny you are to remember how poor in spirit you are so that you look to King Jesus instead of yourself. And you say, only through King Jesus can I be made right. And yours is the kingdom of heaven. Through that faith, through the grace of our Father. Moving on, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set in a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that your good works uh, will be seen and give glory to your Father in heaven. Light illuminates things. Light shines. You get it. We don't have to talk much about light. You understand. He says you're a city on a hill. I think this is very interesting because in, in that there's a few cities that could be seen on a hill from where Jesus was speaking, but typically a city on the hill is what? Jerusalem. It's a big deal. And to a whole bunch of poor, pauperish, broken, sick, gross people, for Jesus to say, you are the light of the world. You are a city on the hill. Now all of a sudden he's saying, this is yours, not Jerusalem's, not the holy city. There's something else going on here, something deeper. And for us, we just say, oh yeah, cities are on hills. That's nice. They have light, kind of like a, a lighthouse. I don't know if lighthouses make that noise, but I'm imagining it. Nautical stuff. Anyway, and so then we see cities on here. We get the light shining. To them, they would say, whoa, me? This isn't me. This is, you're talking about all of Israel. This is what Israel's supposed to do. Because they understood that originally, who's the light of the world? 
Jesus is the light of the world. Who is the light of the world? There's a trick question. What does the Bible say? Who is supposed to bring the world? Israel. Israel is the light of the world. Right? See, uh, Isaiah 51.4. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the people, to the nations. Right? God is telling them, if you follow me, if you reflect who I am, other nations will see and they'll come and worship me. This idea is over and over and over in Scripture. Matthew specifically quotes this in Matthew 4. He's talking about uh, something in Isaiah 60, verse 9, I believe. But in Matthew 4, 16, he says, The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. These are Gentiles. These are outsiders. They're seeing this light. How are they seeing this light? Through the Messiah. Through God's people following Him. Israel was God's chosen people for the world. And Israel decided to be God's chosen people for themselves, or sometimes their own chosen people for themselves. And that was the big tension. And so you see Jesus butting heads over and over and over with the religious leaders of the day. Because Jesus acknowledges, hey, you guys are taking this thing, you're making it for yourself, you're making it all about you, you're worshiping your religion, you're worshiping your praxis, and it's not right. You're missing the kingdom, you have no idea what's going on. And we'll see that pattern over and over and over. This is why you start seeing hints of it now. Jesus is saying, hey, you're no good, you can be thrown out and be trampled. I believe that there's a hint of understanding with the religious leaders there. Jesus is saying something he's going to say later on, we talk about next week, where he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, He's specifically referring to them. Maybe they're being thrown out. Let's put this inception in the minds of the listeners there. Hold on, the city on a hill? That's supposed to be Jerusalem. And you're saying that's us? You're the light that shines the Messiah. You're the light that points to God. And we all know Jesus tells of himself several times in the book of John. First uh, John writes about this. Uh, it's in Mark. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, right? So when he says, you're the light of the world, he's talking about how God is reflecting his light through them, these poor, these broken people. The Messiah is here. Nor does anyone put a lamp, uh, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light in the house. If you tried to hold light too closely, you guys ever done that? You like put a flashlight over your hand, and you can kind of like see your bones or whatever. But it's not really a great light anymore, right? This happened literally last night. Asher had a light over his hand. He said, Dad, can I show you something? Can I show you something? I looked over and just this itty-bitty red thing in his hand. So excited, right? If you try to conceal light and hold it, put it in her basket. Why do you put things in jars and baskets and buckets? Because they're mine. My precious. You hold on to it, right? It's yours. Don't touch my light. This is mine. Right? And what happens to your light? It's no longer light. You throw light in the darkness and hold it tight. You throw a lamp, a candle, it goes out. I think Jesus is trying to communicate something here. This isn't yours. This is the Father's. This is being given to you. You don't take a light and put it under something. You let a light shine for those to see it. He goes on to explain that. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. How do you let your light shine? Jesus says it involves good works. And before we get into this fear of legalism and, oh, is it works or is it faith? Stop. If you're a kingdom person, you live like Jesus. You're salty. You're shining. It comes out of you. These things happen. And if you're not living like Jesus and you think you're the worst person in the world, then you're poor in spirit. And open your hands and say, God, I'm not, I'm not following Christ the way I should. And Jesus says that you're blessed in your spiritual poverty because you bring it to Him and He gives you righteousness. It's not something you're doing. Do the things in your life point to the Father's glory 
or are they things that point to your glory? We talked a lot about this uh, when we talked about the word glory during Christmas time. You remember we talked about shadow glories? So much of our lives orbit us. Everything we do says something about us. My bank account, my vacation, my leisure activity, my grandkids, my gifts that I'm given to this person for this birthday. Think about the things in your life that don't point back to you. Even your charity work, the things you give away, the things that you'd quickly prop up and say, oh, but God, I've got this in my bank account. Poor in spirit. You've got nothing in your bank account. Try to think about how many unselfish things happen in your life. It's pretty hard. I, uh, when I'm being pretty honest, I don't know if I do anything that's selfless. There's so much in my mind and heart that come back to me, my image, what makes me feel good, what makes me look good. And all those things are shadow glories. They feel like glory, they look like glory, and they come and go and they die like everything else because I was not meant to hold glory. You were not meant to hold glory. It's not yours. All glory belongs to the Father. It's all His. And so anything we do that's good, that's glorious, that's wonderful, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Right? So everything we do points to the Lord. So we're back to the question, what does everything in your life say about your King and His kingdom? How are the things in your life going about? You cannot let your light shine alone. Again, we start tiptoeing back to, oh, how am I a light in my workplace? How am I a light at school? Yes, sure. But can you do that apart from the church? I mean, let's just be real. Let's be practical right now. Those of you who have come, come and gone in church in your life, when do you find that you draw near to God and you consistently follow Him? You have a consistent pattern of a good relationship with Scripture, a good relationship with prayer, and a good relationship with church. When do those things happen in your life? When you're a committed member of a church, when you're connected to a church, I'm not here to be the guy that says, oh, we got we to gotta have a big old church here. Let's just get real big and have a huge church, have tons of numbers. Forget that. I'm talking about the kingdom. Big C church. Every believer who comes together in Christ. And if you are not a member of a church, if you're not spending time with other believers and letting them ripple into you, then you're not able to be a light, to be salty, to be shiny in your workplace, at school, with your family. You can't do it. And if you're real with yourself, you know you can't do it. Because you struggle to be a good mother. You struggle to not say curse words and you get angry. You struggle to not look at porn. You struggle to not want to punch people when they talk bad at you. You struggle to not want to ram your car into the buffoons who drive in Jeff City. Right? You struggle with... Maybe I'm just talking about me. I'm the worst person here. You struggle with these things. How are you going to stop struggling with them? Because you said a prayer and because you magically took on the Holy Spirit and now, now you live perfectly and you never struggle. Maybe that's your story, but I bet it's not. I bet that you still have what the Bible calls temptation and struggle and sin and doubt. These things happen. Paul talks about it. Jesus talks about it. James talks about it. Peter talks about it. All of us struggle. But you know what they all point to? Us coming together as one body. Glorifying God as one. We need each other. Please hear me. Whether you're watching from home, you're a committed member of Memorial, you've never been a part of a church, whatever. Please connect to the church. These verses don't make any sense outside of the kingdom, and the kingdom makes no sense outside of the church. Jesus chose to bring his kingdom through his life, death, and resurrection, and then he gave it to the church. He said, be my body. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all things I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always. How is Jesus with you always? Through the Holy Spirit, through his church. When we do things on our own, we get a selfish orbit. 
make it about ourselves. We don't glorify the Father. And we want our good works to be seen. And church, that's a message for us too. We can so quickly point to those outside and say, man, those people. Are the things we're doing as our church glorifying our Father? Did, listen to this. How, did the early church draw people in by having really lit music, lasers, awesome messages, and, and going door to door passing out tracts? Is that how the early church grew? No, we, we, did, we studied Acts together, right? How did they grow? They grew, they grew by the power of the Spirit. And what things did they do? What, what, what sort of things did we see them do naturally? What naturally came out of them is they were, they, were infu- they were empowered by the Spirit. They were following Christ. They started doing a whole lot of the same as they saw Jesus do. They started taking care of each other. That was a big thing we saw. And we were amazed. Whoa, hold on. They radically gave to each other. Opened their hands with their homes, with their money, with their time, with their resources. They took care of each other. And other people around said, hold on. I want to be a part of that. And they constantly welcomed an outsider. Say, hey, we'll, we'll take care of you too. This is why, as a church, we bend over backwards to help drug addicts get, get into recovery. This is why, as a church, we tell stories of redemption and remind each other that we need each other. This is why, in a minute, when we honor the graduates, we're going to remind them that you don't go alone. You're not graduating and we'll see you later. You've graduated church. No, that we go with you because we're one and we're all going to continue to go out. This is why when people have cancer and they're sick and they can't be here, we go visit them. And we do what we can to, to bring the Lord's Supper to them and spend time with them because we're one. We need each other. Church, may the community outside see how we treat each other and say, I I, I need to be a part of that. That's what's salty. That's what's light. That's the kind of church we want to be. Jesus is saying to you this morning, you're a part of this. Get in here. Some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, no, this ain't me. I've been a part of church. I used to do ministry in the church, and now I'm too old for that or whatever. Uh, Maybe you're the senior of the church and think, ah, I'm kind of past my glory days of church life. Or maybe you're the young one who's the dumbest one here and doesn't want to be part of things. You just became a believer. You're too afraid. Or maybe you're the one who thinks you're the worst one here. Jesus gathered the most unlikely group of people and said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light. Get in here. Why? Because I'm the light. Because I'm going to take on all your brokenness and make you right. And so if you're sitting here today and you, you're just a navel gaze, you're just here because you go to church on Sundays, stop. Let go of your preconceived notion of church, of Christianity. Think about Jesus and the kingdom and how you are invited into that. What does every part of your life say about his kingdom? Otherwise, you're thrown out and trampled. And maybe this morning you feel thrown out and trampled. Come back to point one. Be poor in spirit this morning. Open your hands and say, Jesus, I need you. We're going to move into a time response here in a minute uh, as the band comes forward. There's a few ways you can respond this morning. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning. And so during response time, uh, you can come up and you can grab the elements as we've been doing. And then after that, we'll walk through taking the elements together. This is a time where we remember who Jesus is. We do these things to remember that Christ gave his life for us, that we can only be right through him. Only through Jesus' blood, only through His sacrifice does God see us as right and righteous as we open our hands and we give our lives to Him. Our spiritual poverty is made right and turned into wealth through Jesus Christ and only through Him. And so when we take the Lord's Supper as one body, as a group, we're declaring the Lord's death, His resurrection, and His life, His kingdom reign until He comes again to make all things right. Right? So during this time, this response time, uh, you can come, you can grab the elements when we'll be doing that. Maybe during this response time, you just need to pray. And you say, man, I feel so disconnected from the church. I feel disconnected from Jesus. I feel broken. I feel poor in spirit, and I don't know what to do about it. 
Open your hands. Let go of this stuff. Say, God, you've put me here this morning. I want to give my life to you, Jesus. Maybe you're being moved and saying, man, I need to get baptized. I've been bothered by this. I was hoping David wouldn't even say the word baptism, and now he said it. Oh, gosh. Maybe that's it. Maybe you need to come. Right now, as we stand, you can come and get your elements. You can come give your life, Lord. Open your hands. Say, what does it mean to be salty and shiny as the church is one body in Christ? Am I poor in spirit? Am I living in the kingdom? God, I come to you right now and I pray that uh, amongst all the words and analogies and things that we do to try to make sense of your word, that your spirit would speak right now. That, that we would remember only your words this morning. And that they would pierce our hearts, pierce our souls, that we would become people who love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors ourselves. God, give our church this posture. Not to be trampled, not to be thrown out, but to be salt because of your influence in our lives. Because your kingdom is here and you reign. Show us how to be the light, God. Thank you for being the light, for illuminating the darkness, for, for calling us out. God, I pray if there's any of us that are in darkness right now who are hiding, who don't want to be exposed. By the power of your spirit, Jesus, that you would illuminate all parts of our lives, all the crevices that we want to hide that we would open our hands and recognize our spiritual poverty before you, God. May we be poor in spirit and rich in you, Jesus Christ. Guide us as we remember you through the Lord's suffering.